Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast sponsored by GP Strategies, the world's leading talent transformation organization. I'm your host, Michael Teal. By day, I'm a creative director on the research and innovation team. And my side hustle, kind of my fun signed gig is, at least for the, the past year and a half, as long as they'll have me as hosting the Performance Matters podcast, get a little chance to mix it up with thought leaders throughout the organization. And uh, I got to tell you, we have an amazing organization. We are a three-headed, I don't know if we're a three-headed monster or a trinity or a triad, but we really cover it all. One call does it all in talent transformation. We have a consulting practice, a learning services practice, and a technologies practice that all work together hand in glove, I think is the term. And um, yeah, so we have a lot of great things happening at GP Strategies, and we try to bring that to light here on the Performance Matters podcast. Today's topic is one that um, has been really eye-opening for me in terms of one of our most thriving practices, and that is the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, and it's also being called diversity and inclusion. So we're getting that name whittled down here a little bit as we go. Today's topic is designing DEI learning journeys that actually make a difference, and there is a lot that goes into that. To help us unpack this topic, we've brought in a heavy hitter in the DEI practice, Nick Gervin. She is the Director of Learning and Delivery for our Diversity and Inclusion Practice. Nick, thank you for joining us and being so patient as I got through my monologue. How are you today? I am really good, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be great. Uh, well, we love, love having our partners and friends from the Diversity and Inclusion Practice. I know I've had a chance in the past, I think I've had two, maybe three conversations with Angie Peacock uh, within your group, the your fearless leader, if you will, and um, had some great conversations while she's been in her Shire-style household over there in lovely England. And uh, thank you again for making time um, today here. So we appreciate you. Now, I am in Phoenix, so right now it's about 9 in the morning. What time is it where you're at? Um, it's just after 5 here in Scotland. Oh, my goodness. Okay, and I will trade weather with you any day. I don't know what the centigrade equivalent is, but it's like going to be 110 here today. So uh, probably over well over 40. So please switch with me. Will you do that, Nick? <laughs> be careful what you wish for with Scottish weather. We're very cold. We're very wet. We're very, very gray. <laughs> oh, I know. I had, a, I had a chance to do a golf um, outing there in 2018. And yeah, I got my dose of wind and rain for sure. It was, <laughs> but it was lovely. What a lovely place you're at. So I know I, I know our listeners aren't here to really have me rap about my uh, my terrible golf game or anything like that. We're here to talk about DEI learning journeys. And I know you are accomplished in this area. So before we get started, can you just share a little bit of your bio? Tell us about Nick Gervin. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Who are you? What makes you you professionally speaking, Nick? 
Oh, wow. That's a whole thing to unpack. Okay. <laughs> Let's so do professionally it. speaking, I am the director of learning and delivery for the DEI arm of GP strategies. So my background has always been in learning and development. I've worked in that for over 20 years. Um, and my, my specialties, my passions are around business psychology and modern leadership. But most importantly, it's about adult learning practice um, and breaking the of traditional learning experiences. So um, yes, my driver, my, my professional, uh, professional sphere is to redefine the way in which DEI transformation takes hold. Um, I know that it has the reputation of being a checkbox activity and that should never be the case. This training is important. It makes a difference. Um, so we've got to make sure that that learning really lands so that we can make a change around the world. I love hearing that, you know, as someone who has also been in, in, in the parallel metaverse of experiential learning and development over the past 20 years, I think we're going to have a great conversation here today. So again, thank you for being here. Uh, one thing I've been doing just as a little fun uh, for folks that aren't familiar with everybody in the GP world here is asking uh, uh, guests one secret superpower that they have, and it can be professionally or personally, I'll let you pick on that side. So what's one secret thing about Nick that we should know? I think anybody who knows me listening to this answer probably won't say it's so secret, um, but I'll go professional. Um, kind of extends to my personal life and that gets me in a whole load of trouble. But I would say <laughs> that my superpower is creative thinking. So I, I have total respect for the tried and, and tested world and methodologies and everything like that. But I have to say, I love exploring the what ifs. You know, I, I, I love to come up with, with the, the solution that makes the jaws drop, but brings about the most amazing results. Um, I kind of liken it to the, the designer of Vespa scooters um, mm. because the, the creator of Vespas, and I don't know if you know this, this is a random little bit of, of knowledge that yeah, I like. Yeah, this is good. Tell me about this. <laughs> I, I know what a Vespa is, but tell me the backstory. This is really cool. So Vespa scooters were created because the designer hated motorbikes. Um, and I, I love that. I love Vespas, but I, I love that little insight that they were created from something of, of disdain and dislike. And I have to admit, I got into training because of that reason. Um, I was um, experiencing training events in the workplace that were mediocre or e-learning that was mundane. And I just thought there has to be more to this. And I found out that there was, thank goodness. So my creative um, superpower is all about inspiring something new, um, being transformative oh. and changing what's already been up until this point. What a cool story. And man, think about Vespas. I'll <laughs> never look at them the same anymore just because of that. So what a gift. I picture <laughs> some uh, angry Italian, brilliant Da Vinci-like person who's just like, I do not like the motorbike. And they're like, you know, think of something beautiful and elegant, almost like flamingo like. And, oh, th this is done. I'm going to just shut down the podcast right now. This has been <laughs> enough gold today from a Goodbye, creative perspective. And <laughs> I love it. And you know what, just uh, as we, we continue on this, you know, I don't know if you've read the book Outliers or not. Is that, is that a book that sounds No, no. Tell me about okay. it. 
put it on your list. Um, the only thing I'll say there is that they mention in the book that there's different levels of genius. You know, like a lot of genius is actually taking something and picking it apart. Like traditional Mensa type level mm -hmm. is how do you pick something apart where there's the other genius of how do you synthesize and think of what if. So I would say humbly, you might be a genius here, Nick, in terms of <laughs> that. It's the what if process right there. So um, just case, if you want to put that great in there, speaking, you know, I'm going to look off this. This is me. I love done. it. Okay. <laughs> We're done. We're done for the day. Oh, we're <laughs> yeah, kidding. I know people are logging in. They're driving or they're in their private jet or they're they're at their computer with some earbuds on. And, you know, they probably tuned in to, to really talk about this, this subject. This is a meaty one that we have today of the art and science of designing these DEI learning journeys that, as you said, that get you away from that origin story pain point you had of this sucks, right? This is not good there's got to be a better way. I don't want to be in a checkbox type thing. So I know that you are in our DEI practice here. So I want to hear from your perspective, like what's the driving motivation for DEI in the first place? Like why is it even something that somebody might be interested in diving into and getting serious about? I think nowadays it's something that organizations can't risk avoiding rather than anything else it's everywhere it's not just your work life it's your personal life it's out in the streets it's out in the shops it is the reality that we're living in right now because it's not new news that you know organizations that foster diversity and inclusion see better financial outcomes innovate faster retain employees We've known that for a really, really long time, but now it's about embracing something different and making sure that people belong, um, they're engaged, they're valued, and they're championed for being who they're going to be. You know, no organization can really think of themselves as a successful organization without having that meaningful diversity, equity, and inclusion framework. Um, but what I will say with that caveat is that so many organizations worldwide um, are already launching DEI programs. They've already got this stuff happening and they're not seeing a change. And mm. part of that is because are you guilty of doing that checkbox kind of training? <laughs> are you really investing the activity where it counts? Um, because we know that there is this, this mythical belief that with DEI, you can just roll out something once a year, get some bums on the seats, and you are done. I'm really sorry. I may be uh, living in the land of the unicorns, but I'm going to break right. that myth. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I can definitely, uh, you're, I'm, I'm testifying right now in terms of, of feeling that pain in, in different organizations and, and seeing that. So let's get into the nitty gritty of how do you make that happen? I mean, obviously, you know, Angie opened my eyes to so many of the possibilities of DE&I. So for those listeners that haven't had a chance to listen to Angie Peacock and subsequent podcasts, I would encourage you to subscribe, follow, like the podcast, but also comb through and look for some of these DEI conversations. So there's a lot there of why, and you've just unpacked a couple of other ones. So we're going to get into the juice of how today, like how do you make this happen? So if an organization is just starting out, Nick, and um, or even maybe they're going, you know what, we're doing things, but um, things aren't firing on all Vespa cylinders here. Um, you know, if, if somebody's looking at their inclusion learning journey, 
where should they start? Let's just start at the, the baby steps here. What should they be doing first? Okay, well, this isn't going to be new either. If you've heard about Angie's podcast, this is one that we're super passionate about. Get formal measurement. Okay. Um, this has to be step one. You know, it, it's what all of your efforts are going to build upon. And let's face it, it's going to help you understand whether that's been successful. So if you think about it, you know, if you were working in healthcare and right. you were training out a topic like infection control, you know that you would have all of that data in terms of the infection rates prior to the training, during the training, after the training, sustained after the, the training. Um, you wouldn't just roll something out not knowing your reality and not knowing how you're going to measure that. You know, DEI really should be the same. So it's important to take the time gather your data of your organizational makeup. And if that data doesn't exist, go and source it. Um, I'm okay. not just talking about the, the quantitative figures. I'm talking about qualitative realities. So launch an employee survey. Ask those important questions and measure how people really feel about the organization right now. Because it's that data that's going to form your foundations. It's going to help you understand the now, and it's going to help you benchmark against the rest of your industry. But importantly, it's going to highlight where you need to focus your needs. It's that insight that you need to be exploring with your organizational leaders, your HR business partners, your DEI leads, um, to get perspectives on what they're seeing in that data and what measurable goals they want you to be considering as a result of that recognized reality. So it's all about data. Step one, mm. be measurable. <laughs> well, well, you know, and to your point, what you're saying here is, you're not advocating a ready, fire, aim approach, right? You're saying, understand where you're at, understand, you know, just like me, I, I, I need to lose a couple of, I don't know if it's kilograms or pounds, but, uh, you know, I need to tighten up and I, I should at least go, okay, where am I at right now? And then where do I want to be? And uh, from a DEI perspective, it's the same. And as you're saying, it's getting real, asking real authentic questions and inviting people to be real. Like if, if things are bad, you need to let us know, right? Don't sugarcoat it and just put, you know, uh, search for those top box scores. It's you're, you're wanting authentic, qualitative and quantitative data. Am I hearing you on that? Absolutely. And that that's the important factor of it. If your DEI um, program is going to be a knee jerk reaction, you're just going to annoy lots of people because it's not about making that authentic change. It's not about the reality of now. It's based on one little pain point. So explore the detail, do it justice. All right, Nick. So it sounds like there's a lot going on in that first step of measurement. We can obviously see there's a lot of value in that. Um, identifying the goals, and as you say in England, signposting some measurable objectives. And I guess by giving people a voice so early on and having those perspectives, you're laying the groundwork for real engagement. So my question to you is, what's next if you've laid out some solid measurement groundwork? Okay, this is where I'm going to break some hearts and go back to that myth. But to truly transform <laughs> your culture, you need to be planning out the next three years. Um, okay. You you can't address everything in one one event, and I'm afraid that that's Are sustainable. You 
I know. Okay. I'm sorry. This I is, keep doing this. This is hard news. Okay. <laughs> I should have brought tissues with me, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> that sustainable DEI transformation just isn't going to happen overnight. It takes effort. So what I would be saying is that next step is about defining the goals for your program. You know, are you trying to reduce the bias in your recruitment? Are you looking to create a platform for underserved voices or are you hoping to close that gender pay gap? Mm. Wherever your focus is going to be, articulate it um, because then you can formulate your strategy and plan your tactics. What needs to happen? How is it going to happen? Who's going to make it happen? And of course, going back to that measurement, how will we know the value of that happening? So with all of these achievable steps mapped out, I can understand that at this point, people start to feel a little bit excited or a little bit giddy um, because they, they've got their end in sight. But what I will say is no matter how motivated you are or how influential you may be, you cannot do this alone. So part of the, the three-year plan isn't just the, the creation of it, it's garnering the support for it. You know, you need to gain the commitment and the backing of your executive and your senior leaders, because this is about deliberate change. And everyone needs to put those, those words into actions, whether it's your CEO launching the initiative or your directors showcasing accountability. It might be your service leaders committing to process reviews or your team managers owning that inclusive um, conversation. The truth is, is that this is a party of multiple parts. So plan your time and be deliberate with what's going to happen in that time and who's going to be involved. Okay. So what you're saying for a DEI plan to succeed is that you need commitment from the leaders to make real improvements. If, if you don't have it from the top, you're not going to have the juice to, to make it happen. And, and I guess, um, you know, to really keep that focus, you also need accountability checkpoints and measurement in line with what you've talked about on the first one. Am I hearing you correct there, Nick? Absolutely. You definitely are. You know, you've got your data, you've got your plan. Now it's about DEI being a constant commitment and for your leaders to have the agency to take action. So, yes, this, this third point really is about creating checkpoints for accountability. Now, I know that that can sound quite daunting, um, but you can begin your action and your measurement um, progression with the simplest of questions. Um, and what I would say is that question can be, what have you done to enhance inclusion in your team? Okay. So it's not too scary. It, it's not the, the not most scary. in depth. I, I feel comfortable <laughs> with that. <laughs> and, and that's the point of it. People can feel comfortable. People can answer it honestly and openly. Um, and it can be something that can easily slip into um, monthly meetings or one-to-one or -one conversations. So it's about prioritizing people to own this question and feel comfortable answering it. Yeah, I, in my mind, I'm thinking of making that, um, just building that into the expected uh, status meetings. And it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, hey, this is just something we all know we're going to be held accountable. It's top of mind. And uh, that is the opposite of the, the concept of boiling the ocean right there. That's like a very realistic, achievable, non-scary thing, Nick. 
I like that. And so following up on that, what kind of actions would you be expecting from around the business then? I think that's the nice thing because you're not prescribing people to do something um, in a specific way or answer in in a certain um, category. It's going to vary based on that local need. Um, So it could be something as, well, do you know what? Last week I I turned over my team meeting and we spent time discussing our unwritten rules. Um, Or Hmm. or maybe, and this one is quite topical for us right now, but I worked with HR around my employment engagement results. Um, And I identified three actions that are going to improve my inclusion uh, key performance indicators. You know, not all of the answers need to be equal, but I love the fact that each answer and each action is contributing to this full mosaic of activity. Hmm. Okay. So these all sound like really great answers, very practical type elements here. But my question to you is, how do leaders know what to do? I mean, after all, it's one thing to know the organization's strategy, but what support should be considered to help leaders lead? And I'm using quotes around that in this domain. Do you know what? You're, you're right. It, it's still one of those things that if without complete direction, you could lose your thread on. So what I would say is your strategy, your learning plan, it all needs filtering down to those individual leaders so that they can unpack what action really looks like in their geography or in their business unit. And then they can use this insight to create their own local plan. So again, Don't think that you're an island. This is bigger than just you. So use your people around to support this activity. And I'd say, you know, engage your HRBPs, your DEI leads, and get them to work with your leaders to go back to that original DEI data and ensure that the things that they want to achieve with their teams align with this bigger organizational need. So from this deep dive, they're able to identify their own short and long-term goals. They can underpin these with their key performance indicators. And again, this practical activity can then be discussed in their own monthly reviews. Very cool. So it sounds like what we're saying here is that when you are in this, and I'm just going to call this the accountability phase here, it really is about activity yes it is right it's it's accountability we're we're in a, a professional meeting here about accountability and it really is about activity it's about laying the groundwork and developing more profound long-term dei commitment from your leaders right 100 percent, yes so you know leaders at this point will have spoken at length to their people that have completed activities to drive these desired results and as i suggested earlier their kpis will be directly tied to your overarching dei plan so this makes your vision tangible and relevant to the needs of the diverse regional and functional teams okay so far we've just really talked a lot about leadership and obviously there's a lot of power in that in getting commitment laying down uh, signposts actionable goals and and getting your kpis in line but obviously it's not all about the leaders and um and and we can attest to that here so i want to just switch gears a little bit and you know what about the individuals across the organization so how do we support the leaders efforts with something a little more 
recognizable, a little more day-to-day for those that are actually doing the work? I am so glad you've asked this because my my fourth element, exactly as you say, switches gears a little bit because it's about that truly impactful training event. And I will refrain from getting on my soapbox. I, I'm not going to go down that route. <laughs> get on I, the soapbox. Get you'll on never it. get me back down from it, especially after calling me a genius <laughs> earlier. We're done. <laughs> So I won't go on the soapbox, but I, I will stress the importance of learning that breaks the mold and inspires a change. You know, DEI is personal and it's provocative. Um, it's not a checkbox and the training shouldn't be either. So please put away the iceberg slides. I don't want to see, you know, above the water, <laughs> below the water. I don't want your <laughs> clinical definitions on diversity. Oh my this God, training. Oh my goodness! It should be about human <laughs> value, right? This this, this oh. is a this is a no brainer. So preach, Nick. I love it. I love where you're going. So let's <laughs> tell tell us where we should be going here. So of course, right? Let me just pop the soapbox away. So okay. this is talking <laughs> specifically about DEI training, um, because what I'm going to say to you is consider looking beyond your usual delivery team. Now please know that this is not a slight against your traditional trainers. But for this topic, they may lack the the depth to speak with credibility to certain groups, or they may not have the, the subject matter expertise to create that much needed safe space. So if okay. this is the case in your organization, consider assembling a different group of facilitators. You know, these facilitators will have deep researched and and maybe even lived experience to speak to people with insight and importantly, authenticity, because you need this learning to land in a way that the messages resonate and the effects just ripple out. So when we start to think about training content, modern learning principles like the flipped classroom or blended learning can transform your DEI agenda by evolving your trainers from, oh, dare I say it, be these text-to-speech resources mm, into that right. sort-out subject matter expert. Okay, Nick, um, I'm pretty familiar with a couple of terms that I heard, uh, and but I'd like you to unpack those. So I heard the term flipped classroom and blended learning. For those that aren't really familiar, that aren't really in the learning design phase, can you help us unpack those a little bit before we move too far forward? Yes, of course, happily. So let's take flipped classroom first off because flipped classroom is where you learn the generic basics of a topic before you even set foot into the training event. So it's that knowledge download element that really doesn't need a trainer to talk at you with. So um, for example, it might be the introduction to your topic. It might be a timeline, the history or the definitions. You know, all of this information can be beautifully packaged into some digital learning in the form of a quick video or a reference guide that's shared prior to the training event. And that just means that when the employees spend time with your trainer, the training event becomes more like a clinic um, because the, the trainer can share their expertise. They can spend time discussing individual concerns and they can invite these employees to share their own realities. And that can 
that can bring generic content to life in a way that no slides or, or, or no um, word regurgitation ever can. You know what? I totally get this now. So from what I'm hearing from you, like a clinical definition of flipped classroom is you get the traditional knowledge transfer over. And I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but the lower level elements, the things that would normally be lecture, you're you're taking that and saying, let's package that up, make it on demand. People can consume that and think about it. And now it's almost like a book club where you've you've done that now with the, you know, quite frankly, instructor led is more expensive. It's more precious. Let's shift that to the higher learning of discussion, analysis, skill development, application, you know, on, on the whole nerd term of the learning pyramid, you're moving it higher up the food chain, right? Exactly that. Yes, that that's precisely it. I couldn't put it in a, any well, other way. Well, I mean, I haven't built a Vespa, but I think we're kind of, in, you know, we're, we're speaking the same language. Now, the second thing that we um, that we were talking about here, if we double back, is blended learning. So unpack blended learning since you did such a great job with flipped classroom. So the, the blended learning element, um, this recognizes where we are in, in modern learning. You know, it, it's not a case of all the information needs to come from instructor-led. Blended ideals are about using instructor-led and enhancing it with, with digital learning methodologies so that your, your, your messaging really lands. And you can blend your training experience, like I just suggested with the flipped classroom. So you could have digital resources before the event and then the instructor-led. So you've got the blend there. Or you can use digital resources in the instructor-led session. So again, the blend's happening there. Or my personal favorite is when you look at how digital learning can support and embed your instructor-led session when you're back out there in, in the workplace. So this might be a digital embedding pathway or a, a digital point of need catalog that's accessible when the learner is reflecting and remembering all that good stuff that the instructor may have inspired. And you think about it, that is the modern reality, right? I mean, um, I whether so. you're trying to uh, repair something at your your home, um, which I've been doing a lot of lately because I've just moved into a new home. So there's been a lot of YouTube searching of how do you fix a sagging door and things like that. But what you're talking about is with respect to DEI, it's like, let's just access and leverage the, the essential goodness of things like the internet where you have 24 seven access but you, as that learning architect, you're carefully curating, right? You're, you're, yes. you're, you're curating the resources to support someone. And when they have that intrinsic curiosity, because it's at, like you said, the moment of need, they can help start owning and pushing forward this learning themselves, right? Yes, absolutely that. And I think it is about tapping into people's curiosity, people's desire to make that change. Um, and I, I think this kind of leads us on to the next point that, that we need to cover okay. because it's about engaging all employees. Um, because if you want your training or your leader activities um, to be openly received, you really, really need to invest the effort in engaging all of your employees up front. Because let's be honest, your workforce needs to be ready before any changes or, or expectations can be implemented. 
So we all know that without information or preparation, we have the tendency to react negatively to something new. Um, Mm -hmm. We may be a little bit hostile (laughs) or at the very least a little suspicious of change, um, particularly with something as emotive as DEI. So rather than, you know, acclaiming the broad virtues of DEI, we need to make sure that we're getting people on side by tailoring the message to each person or each job function. You know, make it personal, make it relevant. You know, for example, I I work very closely with, with the sales management team, and I know that they will engage so much more if they know that it's going to bring about more or better serviced client experiences. Okay, so I'll just play a little devil's advocate here, though. And mm-hmm. that would be, let's say, despite your best efforts, uh, your design there, uh, what about those folks that aren't fully on board with the DEI learning journey here? So I'm guessing all those positive messages uh, won't be, you know, won't be received <laughs> by a suspicious or fearful audience, right? I completely agree with you. And I would say that's okay. Do you know what? Don't be afraid of those who aren't fully on board with your initiatives because um, their concerns, their questions, they may prompt something that you've missed Mm. or, you know, you could have communicated a little bit more effectively. So embrace it. Take the time to hear from your skeptical groups. Have the brave conversation. You you may want to consider sharing specific or relatable advice around how they can positively support the program. But equally, it could be about having the discussion to remove some of the fear around the activities. Mm. You know, people really worry especially with DEI efforts, about getting it wrong. You know, that's a real concern. And if you don't acknowledge it, if you don't shine that spotlight and help people understand and move beyond it, then this reality is going to create ambivalence um, across that wider organization. Mm. What you're saying there, in my mind, is almost like um, you're, you're taking the, the thorn out of the paw. Because, yes. you know, one of the biggest fears I think a lot of people have are, you know, what if I am suspicious? What if I'm that skeptic? Um, and uh, can I be my authentic self? You know, I, I, that was one of the things I really picked up from my conversations with Angie was it's about even for someone like me, uh, you know, a middle-aged white guy, quite frankly, that, you know, DEI is there for me too, right? It's it's about yes. bringing your authentic self to the workplace, or um, and and you know when I could see if a leader's like, hey, I don't know if you're all on board on this, but um, that's okay too because let's go through this process and let's be real. And I feel like that alone reduces a lot of the skepticism versus having that thinly veiled everything's fine if you're not on board. You know, there's a problem. I mean, that's been the biggest, I, I would say, feeling I've taken away from my conversation with you, Nick, and also with Angie, with the GPDEI practice, is it's it's about being real. And I think yes. there's a lot of hunger for that, of let's get away from all this academic theory and let's just go, in your world, in your industry, what does DE&I mean, right? I mean, what does it mean on a daily basis and how does it help you have your best day at work? And 
So um, I want to thank you for your time. I know we've covered a lot of ground today. I mean, from Vespas um, to actual <laughs> real world strategies. I mean, technically we've unpacked at least five things that can be um, immediately put into place to impact real change in diversity and inclusion here. So can you just put a bow on today's conversation and summarize it with your creative genius? Like just lead <laughs> us back just the bullet points of what are the high points of this conversation as we leave our discussion. Absolutely. And I'd say that there are so many ways for you to design, implement and embed your DEI program. But the five elements that I think will give you that really solid framework to create this DEI journey is to focus on the, the formal measurement, map out your three year plan, identify those checkpoints for accountability, create powerful training and ensure that the strategies engage all of your employees. And Mike, going back to what you were just saying, this is about humans. You know, this isn't about some kind of Stepford Wives situation <laughs> where people have to act and they have to smile and pretend that everything's okay. This is about authentic conversation and real behavioral change. So, Give that a nudge. Don't tell people how to act. Give them that that extra consideration of the best practice. This this is just fantastic stuff. I, I come away from every one of these conversations just uh, with my mind just uh, exploding with ideas and, and inspiration. And I'm sure our listeners are feeling the same way, Nick. So on behalf of the Performance Matters Global Listening Audience, thank you for sharing your insight today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. And there is so much that we want to talk about. And, and this, I hope, is the start of, of a lot of journeys. Now, I know we're going to have a, a lot of folks wondering where they can find out more. So I know you've been up to a lot of things communication wise. So uh, are there any recommendations if somebody goes, I want to hear more, I want to reach out to Nick, I want to learn more about what you're up to, where should they go? What's their next step? Okay, so there's lots of different routes. First of all, we have just published an ebook um, on everything that I've spoken about today. So I'm going to do a real shameless plug here. But please, do it. please, plug it. yes, <laughs> go to the GP Strategies website, download our ebook. Not only is it beautiful to look at, it has some amazing practical tips that just takes our conversation that little bit further than we've just started today. Um, but also follow me on LinkedIn. Um, we're always publishing articles around practical DEI. And, and how it, it takes place in the workplace around the world. So reach out to me on LinkedIn and of course, email me at, at GP Strategies because there's so much um, to unpack in, in your local regency. Cool. Well, again, thank you so much and please have a wonderful evening over in lovely Scotland. I will do indeed. Thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.